that. But this morning we're, we're going to be looking at, uh, we're continuing our series. We're in week four uh, of uh, this five-week series that we're doing on minor prophets. Uh, I shared with you when we began this, I, God kind of laid on my heart to, to, to go this direction uh, because honestly in 20 plus years that I've been in ministry, uh, I've not preached from the books of the minor prophets very much in the Old Testament at all. And there's a reason that they're in the Bible. Uh, everything that's in the Bible is there for a reason. And so uh, this, what we've been doing is taking a look at the minor prophets. This morning we're looking at the, the minor prophet uh, Habakkuk. And, and uh, I'm, I'm not real sure if that's how you pronounce it. Uh, and I may not pronounce it the same way twice. I, I have no You never know. Uh, I saw Tim Carter in, in a grocery store last night, and he said, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I said, tobacco. I mean, Habakkuk. Habakkuk. And, uh, but uh, any, anyway, uh, I believe there's some good stuff in here for those of us uh, that, that God wants to speak to this morning. I, I shared with you that, that the minor prophets are not called minor prophets because they're not important. It's just because they're short. And so uh, I believe this morning uh, we're, we're, there will be some stuff in here that will minister to some people here today uh, because honestly uh, what we're going to see today is life is not always what we expected it to be. Life doesn't always turn out the way that we expected it to turn out. Uh, life doesn't always treat us fairly. Uh, you know, life isn't always, you know, uh, something that, that uh, we enjoy going through. And so this morning, you know, as you read through this short book of the Bible, uh, you can see Habakkuk. Uh, you can see his raw emotions being exposed here, his, his honest feelings as we see him have a conversation uh, with God about some things that are going on at the time. Just to give you some context here, uh, I shared with you that in every one of the minor prophet writings, there's something going on with the nation of Israel, the children of God, uh, that kind of prompts God to speak through his prophets into the nation. Uh, last week, we saw where they were enjoying a, a great time uh, of peace, a great time of success, a great economic times. Uh, in their nation, but yet God had a strong warning for them uh, in, in that, and, and that that sin would, you know, could be the fall of the empire and be the fall. Uh, we saw that the context this morning comes at a time in Israel's history where they're they're going through some of these difficult times that the prophets had warned about. They're experiencing some very dark days in the nation of Israel. Uh, and and as, as I went through this and I read this, I thought, you know, uh, probably a lot of people in our church would be able to relate to uh, this book that we're looking at this morning. Uh, maybe you're in a season of your life or you've been through a season uh, of your life where things just don't go the way you thought they should go. Uh, I've talked to people all the time who are facing situations in their life and they will describe it like, I, I feel like my life is falling apart. Some of you may have experienced that. Some of you may be in the midst of that uh, right now and you don't know how you're going to get through it. Well, the, the time here is around 600 B.C., the northern part of Israel has already uh, been uh, carried away into exile. And now the southern area of the nation, which is called Judah, 
was unraveling very quickly, uh, and there was some really bad leadership, giving some bad advice, leading them in the wrong direction. And, and to top it all off, they were also experiencing what we know uh, was a terrible drought uh, in the region. Uh, and it had basically devastated their land. Uh, their crops weren't producing. Nothing was growing. Everything was dying. Even their cattle uh, was dying. And Habakkuk describes it, and we're going to talk about this a little more over in chapter 3. But in verse 17, I want you to just hear the description that he gives of kind of what it looks like uh, right here at this time. He says, The fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. And, and as I read that, I thought, it sounds kind of like a Hebrew version of country music, right? I mean, my, my wife left me, I lost my job, my truck broke down, and my dog died. You know, it's like uh, Habakkuk's giving us a description like that. But the point was the region of Judah was going through, uh, undergoing a starvation level and, and social collapse was taking place there. And not only that, but the Babylonians, the nation of Babylon was looming out in the distant waiting for all this to happen, you know, because uh, nations will take advantage of weaker nations when they're that way. And so the Babylonians were a looming threat and God had told Habakkuk and the other product, uh prophets before that Babylon was soon going to invade them and destroy uh, the southern kingdom, destroy it, take uh, captive whatever survivors that there were left. And so as you read through Habakkuk's writing about these things, uh, you see him in a state of just being brutally and totally honest with God, asking questions like this, God, how am I going to get through this? How are we going to get through the devastation and all that we're facing? And maybe you're here today and, and you're asking the, the same question. Maybe uh, you've received a bad medical diagnosis and you know, you know you're dreading the days ahead. Uh, you know, maybe someone you dearly love has got a bad medical diagnosis or, or maybe it's a marriage that you're in that seems to be falling apart or unraveling or every day just seems like a struggle, uh, you know, or, or maybe it seems, you know, you know, like the finances are always uh, not there and, and you're living under this financial stress or maybe you're here today and say, you know what? Uh, maybe it's, it's like the answer C, all of the above for me, right? I'm experiencing that all. Uh, and, and so if that's the case this morning, uh, God has you here for a reason because Habakkuk's story uh, is just for you today. And, and we see him in his opening statement of chapter 1 basically saying this, God, where are you? Where are you in this? What are you doing in this? I thought you loved us. I thought we were your chosen people. God, where, where are you and what are you doing? I want you to look at, at what he says here in chapter 1, uh, starting at, at verse 2. He, he says this, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save us? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? The English Standard Version of the Bible says it like this, Why do you idly look at wrong? 
right? And, and I mean, is there anyone here this morning that would dare to admit that sometimes in life you feel this way, like God is just sitting idly by? God seems to be, you know, doing nothing while everything is falling apart, while everything seems to be going against you, while you suffer, while you wonder, God, where are you and are you even there? Do you even care? And so, which often then leads to another question, and as a pastor, I hear these questions a lot from people as they're going through difficult stuff and hard times. Uh, the next question is this, God, how is this fair? Right, Because we somehow think what it is that we're going through or what's happening to our family or what's happening to our situation is not fair. You know? and, and here's the deal. Babylon was causing a lot of these problems for Israel. Right? The threat from Babylon was real. They knew that Babylon was about to come in, destroy them, take them captive, the people who you know, weren't killed. And here's the deal. Babylon, the Israelites knew this. They, they were a much more wicked nation than Israel had ever been. They were a much more godless nation than Israel was. And so Habakkuk is just being honest with God and saying, God, how is this fair that your chosen people, the people of God, would have to go through and suffer through uh, these kinds of things? And Babylon, you know, they're living the good life. Everything they touch over there turns to gold and they're getting off scot-free and they're going to get all of our land and every, everything that we own before it's all said and done. While we're sitting here being terrorized, we're sitting here starving to death. How is this fair? I thought you were a fair God. And then you look down at verse 13. He continues and he says, your eyes, he's talking to God again. He said, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You can't tolerate wrongdoing. So why then do you tolerate this? Why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? And folks, if we're honest the way Habakkuk has been honest, some of you have been there. Some of you have felt this exact same way. Some of you, like I said, you may be there uh, today. And I believe these three questions, uh, I, I would say we all probably have asked at some time in our lives or in our walk uh, with God. And, and I probably should have mentioned this earlier, but the book of Habakkuk is unusual uh, in that it's not a sermon that is written to the nation of Israel. Like I shared with you last week, most of these are sermons or messages that God, you know, gave these prophets to share with Israel. This, the book of Habakkuk isn't like that. It's not that. Uh, it's not like the ones the other prophets wrote. Instead, what this is, is it's a conversation that Habakkuk is having with God that he basically recorded, Right? And so, you know, Habakkuk basically presents a list of complaints. I mean, you read through this, he's gripping, all right? He's not pleased. He's got a lot of questions. And he says in chapter 2 and verse 1, he said, and here's my list of complaints, and here's everything that I think is wrong and that you're doing wrong, and if I were God, I would do it better, and here's my list. And then he says this in verse 1 of chapter 2, and I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Right? So, God, here it is. What do you got to say for yourself? What do, you, what do you got to say about that? And so God answers him. You know, we see it there at first in chapter 1. And, and then, you know, God gives his answer to Habakkuk. Habakkuk basically argues back again at God. 
God answers him a little more stronger, and Habakkuk shuts up basically at that point. But he does give us, right, one of the greatest statements of faith is found here in this, this minor prophet's writing. Scholars say one of the greatest statements of faith that can be found in all the scriptures, in God's holy word, and, and the entire point of this book. The entire point of what he has recorded here, just like the rest of the Bible, is to teach us something, right? That's why we're looking at the minor prophets, because there's something in here for us. And so, you know, but it shows us what the growth of faith looks like. This story that, that we're looking at this morning, it shows us what it looks like for your faith to, to grow. Uh, and, you know, by opening up his own heart and letting us see Habakkuk is going through his own faith struggle in his walk with God. And some of you have been there, right? Some of you have experienced this, a faith struggle that is real. And so Habakkuk basically is opening his heart and he's sharing that with us this morning for us to see as well. Uh, to, to say, you know, there are times, you know, when you're reading through this and you're, you're like, can you really say that to God? You know, can I really say that to God without getting struck down or hit by lightning or something? But here's the deal. Here's what we find in this. God is okay with this. All right? God, God is okay with, with your struggles. God is okay with your doubt. God is okay with your questions, right? And, and, and so when Habakkuk questioned God, Notice God didn't snap back and say, I am almighty God, how dare you question me, right? And then zap him. You know, that's not how we see God respond. God doesn't, you know, respond that I'm too great and too mighty, you know, to even bother with you and, and your complaints. No, that's not what God does. When Habakkuk questioned God, God answered him. God responded. It appears that God seems to welcome Habakkuk's questions, that he seems to welcome his, his doubt, you know, and, and, and think about it. God even saw fit, again, to put this book in the Bible so that you and I could see it and read it and learn from it as well. Because don't miss this, doubt, the doubts that, that you have, the questions that you have, the difficult situations that you go through, the tough times, all of those things... God actually uses that doubt and those questions to grow us so that we will have a deeper faith in Him. All right, So that He can grow us deeper in our faith. And a faith that hasn't been tested, a faith that hasn't doubted, is a shallow faith right? that would be easily uprooted. And so God knows that, but God wants to grow it and strengthen it. And that's what we see him do here uh, as Habakkuk goes through these questions and these doubts and all these things. We see his faith growing even in that. And, and it will not only give you strength through tragedy and not only give you strength through difficult days, but it will give you strength in every moment of every day. And it's it's what we call and what we've sang about every song we sang this morning. We talked about the hope that we have in God. There is power in hope, folks. There's power in this hope that we have as God's children. There is so much power in that. 
that's available to us. And it's probably the most powerful force uh, other than the Holy Spirit that we do have available with us. Uh, I want to uh, tell you about, some of you may have heard this before, but there was a popular uh, experiment that was done at Johns Hopkins uh, University. Uh, a researcher uh, uh, was doing an experiment, and he was trying to determine, and I should have read this a, a little more, but uh, for whatever reason, he was trying to determine how long a rat could swim, okay? Uh, and so basically what he would do is, is he would just throw the rat in, uh, or rats in water, and he found that they would typically last about 10 minutes, all right, before they would give out. Uh, run out of energy or whatever, uh, and they would drown. They'd, they'd make it about 10 minutes when he'd throw them in. And, and so, but here's the deal. Here's what he did. He began to take them out in this 10-minute window. He began to take them out two or three different times during this 10-minute window and, and then put them back in. And what he learned was when he would do that, the, the rats could then swim for more than 60 hours. When he would do that. And nothing had changed. No factors had changed whatsoever. Except for the fact that he had introduced hope into their lives. Right? He gave them a, a little hope. And, and it gave them the ability to swim more than a hundred times longer than they could have before when they had no hope at all. And so my prayer is today that God would give some Nazarene rats enough hope to be able to swim right a hundred times longer than you could without it. So that's the uh, goal of the message today. All you drowned rats, this message is for you. All right? But it's, it's, there are times, y'all, and we can't, you know, we, we come to church and we pretend everything is awesome, we look good, we smell good, well, some of us smell good, uh, you know, and, and everything's just hunky-dory when we know good and well it's not, right? For the, you know, and there may be some here today that feel, you know, right now that, that God is absent and He's nowhere to be found, or, or the, for those who feel like their situation is hopeless, or those who are angry, or maybe just numb to it all. There's been so much, it's just piled on and on and on, till you're just numb through it all, at, to it all, and you're just going through the motions today. This morning, I want you to find hope, not a pep talk, all right? I'm not here to give you a pep talk. This morning, my prayer is that you would find hope and leave here with that hope uh, today. And Habakkuk's question here really is an age-old problem uh, because the world doesn't always seem like, if we're honest, the world doesn't always seem like it's being ruled by a good God, right? The world doesn't always seem like it's being ruled by an all-wise and all-powerful God. Because here's the deal. There's a problem in our world called evil. There's a problem in our world that is called sin. And so basically, Habakkuk asked the question that people still continue to ask today, you know, thousands of years later, God, if you really are all-powerful, then why don't you just put a stop to this? All right? If you really are all-powerful, why don't you just put a stop to evil? Because if you really are all-loving God... You would want to stop evil, right? And, and so since you don't, does that mean that you're really not all-powerful? Or does it mean that you're really not a loving God? And so God gives Habakkuk a lengthy answer 
But I believe verse 5 here in chapter 1 gives us pretty much the theme of his entire response. Look at verse 5 here in chapter 1 as God responds to uh, his you know, complaints and, and all these things. He says this, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. I tell people all the time, people come to me all the time and share with me what they're going through and, and, you know, just, you know, the problems, the situations and all this that people just, you know, need some help, need some comfort, need some advice, whatever reason. And they come to me and I will always say, whatever it is, whatever they're going through, look for God in this. He's there. (laughs) He's at work. You can't see it right now. You can't even imagine what he is doing. But he is there and he's doing it. Look for him and trust him in this. That's what God's telling Habakkuk here. He said, you know, I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. You wouldn't believe it. God wanted uh, Habakkuk and he wants us to know uh, this morning... I'm doing something absolutely amazing through this. I've got a bigger plan than you can imagine or or even realize. And it's beyond anything that you could understand right now. And if I told you, you wouldn't believe me anyway. But here's the deal. At the end of this, I'm going to receive glory. You're going to be stronger. And you're going to have eternal security in your salvation and your walk in your relationship with me. That, that's going to be the end result, right? And, and in verse 4 of, uh, of chapter 2, uh, I love this. He says, the righteous person will live by what? That's how we live, folks. As followers of Christ, as the children of God, we live by faith. You know, the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. In other words, if we are going to walk, he, he says, if you're going to walk with me, If you're going to go on this journey with me in this world, it's going to have to be off your faith in me and what I have done and what I am doing and what I'm doing ahead of you. You have to walk in that faith. That's how a righteous person lives their life is to walk in faith, which means this. There are going to be some things that you don't understand. There's going to be some things that you can't even see. In front of you while you're going through it. And then I love this. He gives Habakkuk this picture in verse 20. He says, the Lord is in his holy temple. And let all the earth be silent before him. And don't miss this. He gives Habakkuk this vision of himself sitting high on a throne above it all and saying, if I am still on my throne, and oh, by the way, I am still on the throne. We sang it earlier as well. I am still on the throne, and if I'm on the throne, let me tell you something. You can trust me. If I'm on the throne, you can trust me with your questions. You can trust me with your doubts. You can trust me with all these things if I'm still on the throne. So the question we have to ask ourselves today is this. Is God on his throne? Is God on his throne? Which leads us to, uh, you know... Uh, Habakkuk's great statement of faith that I referred to earlier, and he begins it in chapter 3 and verse 2. He says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I've heard the stories. I've heard of what you've done in the past. I stand in awe 
of what you've done. I stand in awe of the stories I heard in Sunday school. Right? It's incredible. He says, but repeat them in our day, in our time. Make them known. And in the next 15 verses here, uh, Habakkuk, you know, very poetically, uh, is going to give a summary of the exodus of God's people that happened some 800 years earlier that he would have only heard about and been told about, God's great faithfulness to the children of God uh, in that exodus. And I won't read it all here, but in verse 4 we see a reference, uh, Habakkuk makes a reference to God's appearance uh, at Mount Sinai. In verse 5 there's a reference to the plagues that took place. Uh, Verse 10, uh, reference to the splitting of the Red Sea. Uh, verse 11 is a reference to how the sun stood still uh, for Joshua. Verse 13, how God had brought the nation of Egypt basically to its knees at that time. And what Habakkuk is doing here in his writing is he's reminding himself, right? He's reminding himself of so- several things. The first thing is this. We are not innocent people who are suffering, right? We're not innocent in this. We're not innocent people who are suffering in the Exodus. Yes, God was delivering his people from slavery, but their captivity and their slavery was self-imposed because of their own sin, because of their own rebellion, because of their own disobedience. Listen, God did not create you to suffer. He didn't create you so that somehow he could put you through all kinds of misery in your life. He didn't create you for that. He didn't create you uh, to suffer. But we, as the human race, we put ourselves in that situation, in our rebellion to God. And oh, by the way, it's a rebellion that all of us has participated in. We look back and want to blame Eve, right? We look back and want to blame what happened there in the garden. But every living human that has been alive since that time is guilty of this and has participated in the rebellion and in the sin. But I, I want to be clear here so that you don't misunderstand me today. I'm not saying that the particular bad things that you may be facing or going through that are happening in your life right now are happening because of something you did wrong. All right, I'm not saying that. Uh, something in your past has caused you to have to go through what you're going through now as if God's you know, ha- paying you back for something you did in your past. What I'm saying is suffering in general exists in this world today because the human race sinned. All right? That's why it happens. That's why it's there. Which means this. None of us can really say to God, I don't deserve this. Whatever it is that we're facing, whatever it is that we go through, None of us can say to God, I don't deserve this because our sin deserves death, right? And it's only through the cross of Jesus that we don't experience that. Our sin deserves death. And the fact that we woke up this morning and we have breath in our lungs is nothing more than the mercy of God being extended to you today. People often ask the question, I've had people ask me this time and time again, Books, book after book after books have been written. Why do bad things happen to good people? And we've all wondered that. We see people go through stuff, and, or, or we go through stuff. And, 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 you know, I've heard the question hundreds of times, why do bad things seem to happen to good people? Well, in all honesty, 
there are no good people. There was only one who was good, and his name was Jesus. Right? And so, you know, another thing that's happening here is Habakkuk focuses, you know, on the, the exodus here in this passage of Scripture is this. It reminds him also, as he recalls what he's learned, what he's been taught, what he knows, it also reminds him that God is not short on power. <laughs> he hasn't run out of gas. He's not short on power. Think about the power of God and what he controlled and what he orchestrated during the exodus of his people, right? He controlled the sun. He controlled the moon. He, he split the oceans open so that they could walk on dry ground. God is not limited by anything, and he's not short on power. And Habakkuk is reminding himself to that. He's thinking back and he's remembering what God has done in the past. And when he does that, that gives him hope, right? It gives him hope. And so he prays, right? We see his faith growing in and through this. And he prays, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds. Repeat them in our day, in our time. Make them known. He knows, don't miss this, his only hope is in the Lord. His only hope is in God. But also don't miss this, he has hope. It's obvious that he has hope, but Habakkuk's circumstances, they haven't changed. What he's going through, what he's going to be facing tomorrow... That hasn't, that hasn't changed. As a matter of fact, in verse 16, even after reminding himself of this hope and why he should have this hope, look at what he says. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. His heart still hurt him. His chest was still pounding because of what he was going through and what he knew was coming, right? His heart was hurting. His lips were quivering as I picture him trying to, to keep from crying or, or trying to stop crying. His legs were trembling in anticipation of the road that he knew he was going to have to travel in front of him. He dreads what's coming. He knows the invasion is coming. Starvation is coming. Great death across their land is coming. And so maybe you're here this morning and you're dreading what's coming. You can see it on the horizon. You know what's coming. You know what you've got to face tomorrow, and you're dreading that. Maybe the sickness, maybe the pain, maybe the now empty chair uh, that's at the table. Maybe the financial hardships that just seem to be snowballing right now. You, listen, your circumstances may not change. They very well may not change because you're a child of God and you may dread what's coming, but don't miss Habakkuk's resolve and the hope that he has. Back to verse 17 where uh, we began this morning. He says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in our pens and no cattle in the stalls, don't miss this, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. 
This, this, is, this is the faith that God was calling him to back in chapter 2. This was the faith that God said, you, you must have in order to walk with me. When he said, the righteous person will live by faith. And what characterizes that is this hope. And so here's what we can learn from this this morning. Three things real quick uh, as we close. Hope can exist along with grief. It can. Hope can exist uh, along with grief. His circumstances haven't changed. Verse 16 shows us he's still consumed with grief. Right? Sometimes I think we as Christians, we think, you know, that uh, we, we've, we've got to come in and, and put on this face and, and we just got to suck it up and we just got to take it and we got to have a stiff upper lip because, you know, we're children of God. But listen, that's not what we see in the Bible. That's not the kind of behavior we see in the Bible. When Job heard of the terrible things that had happened to his family, can you imagine the terrible things that had happened to his business and everything that he owned, we see in the scripture where Job literally fell on the ground and tore his clothes. And Jesus, who was perfect, who was good, we see him at times when he was filled with sorrow. We see him at times when he was filled with grief. We see him at times where he cried. And so, you know, but, but, but Christians, here's the deal. We do not grieve like those who have no hope. We don't grieve like people who have no hope. I've watched people grieve who have no hope, and it's ugly, and it's horrible, and it's a terrible thing to watch happen. We do not grieve like people who have no hope, right? And, and so, you know, don't miss this this morning. Hope is, the, the second thing that we see here from Habakkuk's story is this as well. Hope is a choice. Hope is a choice that we make. In verse 16, he says, I will wait patiently. Right? He says in verse 18, I will rejoice. He says, I will be joyful. Don't miss this. This is a choice. Hope is not just something you have. Hope is something that you choose to have. I will wait. I will rejoice. I will be joyful. Here's the deal, folks. Rejoicing is not a description of your feelings, all right? Re rejoicing is not how you feel. It it's not. We see here that Habakkuk feels horrible, right? But yet he chooses these things. It's choosing what you know to be true. It's choosing what you know is true even when you can't see it, even when you can't feel it and you don't feel like it it's choosing what you know is true about God and, and listen you, you you can't uh a lot of times we just think well we we just got to be happy we just got to get happy can I tell you this morning I'm gonna take some pressure off of you you cannot make yourself be happy you can't you can't command yourself into happiness and and, and to be uh happy uh, but you can explain to yourself why you should be happy, right? You can't make yourself happy, but you can try to convince yourself why you should be happy. You know, faith in God realizes that we possess something in God that is deeper and better than anything life can give us. Do you know that? In God, we have any, we, there's nothing that can compare to what we have in God. Nothing that this life has to offer. 
And so we know that. We know that to be the truth. So sometimes we just have to convince ourselves of that. Nothing is better than what I have in God, right? Nothing in this life is going to be better than that. And so that's where we get our hope. And here's something else. It's something that is, you know, to be in relationship with God is something that, you know, is so secure that even death cannot take that away from us. Even death cannot take it away from us. He says here in verse 18, he says, I will rejoice. Don't miss this. It's a choice. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful In God my Savior. Verse 19. The Lord is my strength. Uh, Don't miss this. He's not saying here, I'm going to give you all these things that will bring you joy. No, he says our joy comes in him. Being in him is where these things come from, right? And and he doesn't always, you know, I I see this in here. And I'm not sure how to to rationalize this. But, you know, I believe he's saying here he doesn't always give us strength. But our hope is in the fact that the Lord is my strength. If I'm walking in Him, then His strength is my strength, right? He may not always give me strength. Some days He may pick me up and carry me, but I'm in Him. I'm with Him, right? And so He is my strength. And sometimes there there are aspects of God that you can only know. You can only understand. You can only realize these things sometimes when your fields are empty, when your stalls have no cattle in them, when there are no sheep in your pens, when your marriage is broken, or you feel that you're alone and you literally dread getting out of bed and facing tomorrow. And the greatest thing that God can give you is this knowledge of who He is. This knowledge of who He is and to see the value of His presence in your life and your presence in Him, right? This is Habakkuk's faith, right? This is his hope. And, and one more thing before we close this morning. We're going to have a baptism, so hey, not, I'm, I'm not going to need you. Sorry about that. I had you had to come up for no reason. So there's one, there's one more thing here before we celebrate a baptism with this uh, young man. This hope, this faith, this hope should lead us to prayer. Okay? Because here in chapter 3, uh, we saw earlier where, where we started out. Verse 2. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. And look at what he says next. Repeat them in our day. In our time, in our church, in our community, make them known. Make them known. Habakkuk, is, his faith and his hope has transitioned into prayer. It's changed his prayer from complaints and gripes into prayer for this hope that he has he's praying god i know what you've done in the past all right we're we're fruit of that we're 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 reaping the benefits of of what you've done in the past and i am in awe of what you have done in the past 
and, and I have hope because of what you've done. And God, I know in the end that you're going to you know, turn all this into joy. And I know that in the end you're going to work all things together for good. But I really, I really want to see you do a work in my generation. I, I want to see it now. And, and as I read that, I thought, church, shouldn't we be doing that? Shouldn't we be so filled with hope? of what God has done in the past and what we know He's gone. He's gone to prepare a place for us and what He's got planned in the future. But shouldn't we be praying along with what Habakkuk's praying here? You know, when we see God's goodness, you know, we celebrated it through our Easter celebrations, the goodness that was expressed at the cross. And in that and seeing that and knowing that, you know, not only do we have faith to endure whatever it is that we've got to go through, our trials or whatever, but God, I want to see this goodness break out now. I want to see this goodness now. We've seen it in the past. We know there's goodness coming, but I want, to, I want that to break out in our generation. I want to see you do miracles now in my family, in the lives of my friends, in this church, in our community, in this generation of souls that are all around the world. And we look back and we see His mercy. You know, we look back and we see His goodness and we stand in awe and we are amazed by that. But shouldn't that uh, inspire us to have great hope? Shouldn't that inspire us to have great faith and a great confidence in our prayers today that He will do it again? I don't know about you, church, but I'm praying with Habakkuk that He will do it again. In our generation, in your family, in this church, and in our community. And, and that's my prayer. And so this morning, I, I've just asked you, where are you today? Do you need hope? Do, do you need hope? Do you need to grab on to God and His goodness uh, this morning? Or maybe this morning, as we pray before the baptism, do you just need to pray to God that He would do it right now in your life and, and in your family? And so as we close today, you know, we must respond to this. I tell you all the time, we have to respond to God's Word in one way or, or another. And today it's my prayer that we would respond to God in faith, believing what Habakkuk believed by the time he got to the end of his, his book that we've been looking at this morning. So let's spend some time. Let's spend some time remembering what God has done in the past and praying that God would do it again. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you today for this reminder. Uh, you orchestrated this day perfectly. Uh, I saw it in the, in, in the music as we sang. We, we progressively, through the songs that we sang, we're talking about the faith that we have in you, and the hope that we have in you, and that you're on the throne. And because you're on the throne... We have every reason to celebrate and to praise you and to worship you because you are on the throne. And God, we thank you today for this incredible and awesome reminder of who you are and how much you love us. And, and, and God, we've seen it in the past. We've heard the stories. We've, we've seen what you've done in the past. Even in this church, we know what you've done in the past. We know how this church started 115 years ago with just a handful of people and what you've done right here on this piece of ground over 115 years. We know that you're a good God. We know that you're faithful. 
And we thank you for reminding us of that today. And for those that are here today, God, that just need a little hope, need a little help because they're dreading tomorrow. They're not looking forward to it at all. God, I just pray that uh, today that through this message, through this powerful message that Habakkuk shared with us thousands of years ago, that they would draw some hope, that their faith would grow, and they would be encouraged today. We would be encouraged as a church that we would join together and say, God, you're a good God. Do today, do in our lives what you've done in the past, God. And we're going to trust you with the future. But, God, we look forward to what you're going to do tomorrow and in the rest of this day. And we'll always be careful to give you the praise that you deserve for what you've done, what you're doing, and what you're going to do uh, in the days ahead. We love you so much. Thank you for loving us and allowing us to be a part of your family. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.